So today I'm here with Gary Swart, who is the CEO of Odesk. Odesk is a company that's focused around outsourcing and making it easier to managing, manage outsourced teams. Gary, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your company and what it is you guys do? Sure, Adrian. So first about Odesk. Odesk is, in fact, a global marketplace. We let employers hire, manage, and pay uh, world-class technical talent at globally competitive rates. So you can come into Odesk and hire based on skills or work history, employer feedback ratings, pay rates, et cetera. Once you hire people, so the matching service, we're, we, that's the first piece of our offering, you can manage employees directly as if they were in your own office, and that's visually and in real time using our unique collaboration and management solution that we've built. And then the third piece of our solution is uh, pay, and uh, that's payment and accounting only for hours worked based on auditable time logs, and we figured out how to cost-effectively pay in 60-plus countries. Um, so think of Odesk as a one-stop shop for staff augmentation or project needs uh, to hire, manage, and pay. Uh, and a little bit about me personally, I've been at Odesk for two years, exactly two years now. I came from an ill-fated startup in Telebank, which was uh, which was a little bit, uh, shall we say, defocused, um, trying to be uh, extended relationship management, but let's not talk about that. And then prior to that, a balance of my career was spent uh, at uh, in the software development tool space, pure software, which became rational, which became IBM. And I spent a combined 11 years at, uh, at, at the combination of those companies. Gary, can you hear me okay? I can, yes. There we go. Uh, I guess there's some breaking the order. But anyway, let's, let's, so, um, why don't we, before we, I'm, I'm very interested to talk with you about the experience management side, because for those listening, one of the things that's interesting about what Gary's doing is that he was brought in basically as experience management. There's some guys that came in and started Odesk. And they're still associated with the company at some level, but Gary's, Gary's taken over, and a lot of people have been asking about, well, how do I bring in experience management? So I think that, that would be a really good one. But just before we go on, um, talking a little bit about Odesk and what you're doing at, at Odesk, why would I care about working with Odesk when I can already go and, and just find people on Elance or any one of the other sites out there and not have to worry about using all of your, your stuff that seems like it's more work? Mm-hmm. So... Um that's a great question, Adrian, and I think that there's plenty of marketplaces out there or plenty of places where you can get talent. You can go to an Elance or you could go to a Craigslist and post your requirements, but that's just a match, right? So you're just finding uh, talent that can help you. But then, uh, you know, what about building and maintaining trust in that relationship and what about um, – uh, collaborating and communicating, and then how are you going to pay those people? And similarly for the provider, they do work for you, but they're not building their reputation. They're not uh, guaranteed that they're going to get paid, right? They could do months of work for you and then end up uh, getting shafted. Well, not because you meant to, but you ran out of money or, or, you know, things happen. And so we help create a trusted environment where not only can you find a good match based, again, on the history and on what our buyers have said about them, but also by facilitating this manage and pay. And so what I mean by that is the ability to work with me on a time basis and end that relationship at any time you're not happy. So uh, it's very much on demand, and we help you keep track of the, the, the time and the payment, which, uh, which adds a lot of value after the match. 
So, so the key is on, on managing the relationship ongoing. That's the, the big differentiator between what you're doing and some of the other marketplaces. It is. And as a result, what we see is that many of our customers are long-term customers. So uh, an example is, uh, you know, a small firm comes to us because they need a good .NET programmer. They find one. They recognize that that the person is such a contributor to their team that they add multiple developers. And two years later, they're still a Node.js customer. So our average customer, on average, spends about eight thousand um, dollars of gross services. And if you look at the, the traditional service marketplaces, the average spend is much, much less than that. It's uh, it's in the three hundred dollar range. So it's just an order of magnitude uh, different. We're more about long term uh, work, uh, um, time based as opposed to project based. A lot of, a lot of I work with have already have uh, tools in place. To manage what they're doing, so they have um, tracking systems, project management tools, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, even at a simple level, they can be using a wiki. Is that? Um, are you suggesting that they, a lot of that stuff is better if it's moved over to Odesk? I mean, how do, how, do, how does your tools fit in with existing project management tools? No, we we, uh, we encourage people to use uh, whatever tools work best for them. We don't try and change their process. What we do is our platform essentially gives you the capability to monitor uh, and and communicate with your workers. So what I mean by that is if I'm working for you, Adrian, you're in the Caribbean, I'm here in Silicon Valley, in order for me to get paid, I need to log into your team room. And as soon as I do that, now you're tracking all of my time. Uh, and if you're tracking my time, you're also tracking my work. So it's like I'm sitting in the cube next to you. You can manage me by walking around. At any point during the day or night, you can walk by my cube and see what's on my desktop. So we do that by giving you a screenshot of my desktop six times an hour as long as I'm logged into your team room. And so it's this whole concept of visibility breeds accountability, right? If, uh, uh, you know, you may not like a direction I'm going on a design or on a story I'm writing for you or whatever the work product may be, and you can course correct me in real time. So I don't go a week down the wrong path without you saying, hey, Gary, I think you should angle the story more this way as opposed to that way or... Um, similarly, if you just walk by my cube and said, how's it going, what can I do to help? When you talk right? about course correction, you mean I can view your screen. I can actually view the entire screen. It's not like a small snapshot. It's actually the entire screen I can view very easily. Is that correct? That's correct. It's a thumbnail, and then you can simply double-click on that thumbnail and expand it to full screen size. So you can actually look at my code. You can look at my design. You can look at uh, whatever work product is on my desk. And we do that six times an hour at random intervals as long as I'm logged in your team room. So at the end of the week, the sum of the hours logged in your team room gets sent to you as an invoice. And it'll say, hey, Adrian, Gary worked 42 hours for you last week. And at that point, you can click on any of those 42 hours and see exactly what I was doing. So it's fully auditable. So it gives you that, um, that that trust factor that you just don't get. So you never question the invoice uh, without without some proof. And me as a developer, as a provider of services, I don't have to continually justify my existence, right? I'm happy to say, look, Adrian, I'm going to let you walk by my cube at any time. And if I'm playing blackjack, um, you, you know, I'll either justify I'll justify it to you, saying I was waiting for a build or whatever, or I'll say, hey, don't pay me for that. Right. And so, I mean, how do you know that the, the, they could obviously be working on another machine at the same time? Are you able to see that they're, they're actually doing things, or is it just a snapshot? Like you're looking at uh, it's it's both. We not only provide the snapshot, but we also uh, have a status bar which shows keyboard strokes and mouse events. 
So it's the combination of the keyboard strokes and mouse events, the what's on your desktop, and we even add one other element. And you can you can have as many of these or as few of these as you want. Um, we add a, a camera. So you can make sure that it's actually me working at the machine, so I'm not farming it out to someone else. And then we also add the concept of a work memo, where whatever frequency the customer wants, a, a little window will pop up, and it'll ask me to uh, tell you what I'm working on. So I can say, hey, I'm working on this feature, I'm working on this story, I'm working on this piece of code, whatever it is. All right, okay. So... You talked then about the $8,000 as the, the typical spend through your system, and, and then obviously people are hanging around because there's some of the internal tools are working. Because they, they could easily work around you and just go their separate ways, couldn't they? They could, yeah. And so what we found is in a marketplace, like you had mentioned on Elance before, and we think that's a great place to go if you have a really small project that's very clearly defined, you know exactly what the specs are, you just want this thing built and you, and you know what you want, and you don't, you don't want to be involved in the day to day. You want to give the control up to somebody else. That's, that's actually a pretty decent solution, and we'd recommend that, you know, you, you put your project out to bid and, See where you feel like you're going to get the best quality or the best time or the best price or whatever is important to you. And by the way, we also offer fixed price work. But the problem with it is, is that how often do your specs stay the same, right? Not that often unless it's a really small project. And so what we're finding is in a marketplace like that, what happens is you find the talent. Once you find the talent, you disintermediate. And that's a, an MIT word for uh, cutting people out of the loop, right? You don't, the value is, is gone at that point. You've already made the match. We already know each other. You already trust me. Why, why uh, do we need to go through their system? So, and so we're, where we saw an opportunity was to play after the match, add value beyond the match, and, uh, and that's what we're doing. So why, why do people say, let's say if, I, if, if you had to pick the top three reasons why people are spending that $8,000 through your system rather than the $300, what would you say those would be? Well, it's the flexibility of time-based work, right? So it's the ability to come in and say, look, I know that I need a good Ajax programmer. I know I need a good .NET guy. And I, I have my specs. I, I pretty know, pretty much know what we're going to build, but I don't know exactly. And I know it's going to change in the next month. So we're really looking for just a good resource to join our team that's not available in our local market. So it's it's bringing the global workforce to the local market. It's the flexibility of time-based work, and it's the uh, the manage and pay functionality. So by manage, it's again the, uh, uh, the you know the work diary, the visual historical audit trail of work activity, and only paying for hours worked, um, and which takes a lot of the risk out. As a buyer, you don't have to wait a month to figure out if you're going to get something good. You pretty much know on a daily basis. Right, um, and then the other thing is is pay. It's hard to pay. It's nice to be able to at any time know what you're paying for. Look at your invoice. You can run an invoice from Odesk. We handle all the statutory, all the contracts, all the 1099s around the world, and there's a lot of value in that. So let me let me see if I can dig a little bit into that. Um, obviously, the paying makes sense. Your and your commissions, you charge 10%, right? That's correct. We charge a 10% on the uh, direct labor rate. So, so the person's making ten dollars an hour. Then I, I pay Odesk eleven dollars an hour, and that includes the, the person that gets ten dollars an hour. That includes him receiving his check, does it? That's correct. So, just a quick, quick um, 
a quick summary of how we handle that. The rate that you see in ODESK, so if you go to uh, www.odesk.com, the rate that you see on a provider's profile, and you can go search through our database and uh, look by skill and by hours worked and by dollars earned, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the, the rate that you see on a provider's profile are set by them, and it includes the ODESK fee. So we're very transparent about our fees to both buyers and providers. We tell a provider, look, you decide how much money you want to make, and we'll add 10% on top of that, and that's the rate that we advertise to our buyers. Right, okay. So it is it is very clear. And I guess because the rates used to be 30%, so you dropped it to 10%, and that's kept your retention up well, has it? Uh, uh, yeah, our, our numbers actually went through the roof when we did that. And so what we looked, what we saw is that there may have been some disintermediation at 30%. At 10%, um, we think there's very little. There's still some, uh, and I, I don't know what you can do about that. But uh, you know, what, what we think we can do is just continue to add more value. And we're actually at a point now, Adrian, where we're seeing people bring their relationships to Odesk. So they met somewhere else, but they say, hey, let's work through Odesk. Why? Because I'm get, as a provider, I know I'm going to get guaranteed payment. I'm going to get paid more frequently, so my risk is, is less. And I'm happy to give you visibility to my actual work product um, so you can, you can see what I'm doing and you won't question my value. And the fourth thing is I'm building my reputation. I want feedback from you on what kind of a job I'm doing because that's going to help me uh, make more money tomorrow. All right. So then, um, I got if the numbers have gone through the roof, um, obviously it was a more business model at thirty percent. When you're at ten percent and you've got to handle uh, getting checks out to people, that's obviously fairly expensive. So, I mean, how how strong is Odesk with those kinds of margins? Well, we've um, one of the things at thirty percent, we were providing a lot more touch. So the product was there and the platform was there, but our reputation system was new and. Uh, customers were asking us for recommendations. They were saying, hey, Gary, can you recommend a good firm or a good individual for this job? And so it was pretty high touch on our part. We had um, what we called account managers that were sort of uh, proactive support people, if you will, that were talking to customers and helping them through the process. And today we do none of that. So what we did was we automated all of that functionality. Instead of a human interacting with a client, we now have emails that, that go automatically based on where you are in the process. And so we've uh, we've tripled since this time last year, and we've gone to no touch. So we had high touch, medium touch, and now no touch. And with no touch, I think uh, it's egregious to charge 30%, even though we could. And we have a lot of people that say you guys don't charge enough, but we're more focused on uh, on growth. And you know we've grown an average of 14% a month since uh, since January of 2004. And we'll uh, we'll more than triple this year from last year. Really? Yep. So the thirty percent to ten percent was a good one. I think so. Yes. That's obviously that would have been a nail biting one when you did it. <laughs> it was, yeah. Especially to watch our what we call our rent or our rake go down. You know, you, you're really watching your revenue <laughs> go down by uh, a significant margin and. Uh, and so, you know, to sort of climb back up, it takes time, but it, it's clear it was the right uh, it was the right move. So, in hindsight, that really was the right decision. You have no regrets about making that change now. You know, I, there's a few regrets. Uh, you know, one is just being the CEO here, and you know, uh, my number one job is to not run out of money. And so, if you're optimizing for revenue, then um, and you can justify it, you you, you may have, uh, you, you know. 
that, that may have been a very different decision. Also, I look at it and say there's a lot of customers that still want that touch, and it'd be nice to have a premium service where we could, in fact, charge for that touch, charge a higher rate, and um, and add more value. And and one day we will do that. It's just that having already learned a lesson in focus, Adrian, you can't do all, you can't be all things to all people, and um, you just have to make trade-offs. And I think the trade-offs we made were good ones. Automate the the service, make it more of a marketplace and uh, focus our energies on building the products that will uh, support that growth. And and I think we've executed quite nicely this year on uh, on all of the above. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. What else can you tell us, can you tell us about Odesk services that might be interesting to our listeners before we go on to our next topic of um, hiring experience management? Well, maybe just a qu- quick bit about the uh, about the company. You know, we think that the opportunity to, uh, you know, bring the global workforce to the local market and, you know, the, the trends that are supporting that, of course, are the fact that it's really hard to find good talent in your local market. If you go to uh, most small to medium businesses and even large companies, they say that the number one challenge they have is uh, is access to talent. And so we, we think we're solving that problem. And then, of course, providing a platform where people can work together even if they're remote. We see that as just a just a big opportunity, and we're starting to get the attention of uh, large companies as well. So, a couple interesting developments for us. One is um, the the whole theory of a power seller, and um, Adrian, I think you can probably relate to this because you may have even referred uh, uh, a customer to us, Jorge Galindo. And uh, what's happening now is uh, Jorge is a great provider of services. And he uses Odesk to get access to clients. But what he's also done is he's built a business on Odesk where he's now got people working for him as Galindo Enterprises. And they'll, in fact, apply to jobs on his behalf and then use the Odesk network to fulfill those jobs. And so it's almost like the uh, the two-tier uh, distribution or the power seller model where he's really good at, at uh, managing clients and clients' expectations. He's also good at assessing talent. And so there's an opportunity, there's lots of opportunities for that in ODESC, and we've built our platform in order to support that. So you could get the client, and you could hire me to service that client, and you're simply the middleman in ODESC. And our, uh, the, the way we've architected the system, you can build the client directly for my work and pay me out of the system uh, with all the money going through ODESC. Uh, and, and you can even build in a margin for yourself. So it's just a, a really robust uh, way for people to build what we call virtual affiliates. So envision a world where you're, you'd like to start a consulting firm, and you can do that, and you can have all the talent be on demand. So my friend then, he's gone on, and he's kind of like a second-level guy. He's put, put managing virtual teams inside Odesk. He goes to buyers, bids on their projects, and then does the work through Odesk as well. Is that correct? That's correct. And so he's built what, what we call a virtual affiliate. He's got 200 people working for him, and they're all distributed. They're not, he doesn't have an office. He doesn't provide uh, connectivity or phones or T1 lines or, or an office or a PC. They're all contractors to him. But he's found them in the system, and he says, hey, work for me, and I'll get you lots of work. And he adds a little bit of a rake on to them in addition to Odesk's rake, and everybody wins. The clients win because they're getting somebody who's really good at assessing talent. He's adding value in the system. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, he's he's not a nobody. He's, um, he's a, I think he graduated in um, 
computer engineering from George Washington University and has spent a lot of studying project management at a, at a very yes. level, including he's, um, I know he's a PMP certified a project management professional, so he knows a lot about that stuff. So your system is organized around someone like him to make it easy for him to work with. Is that right? Exactly, to make it easy for him to work with, but also to make it easy for buyers to work with people like him. So Jorge applies to the job and says, listen, I'm an experienced project manager. Tell me what you're trying to do. Let me understand your requirements. Great, I can do that for you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use Odesk to help fulfill it. So let me manage the team for you. You need six people, I'm going to do that. And so now he finds the six people that can deliver that. He manages it, and, of course, he's making a, uh, a, a tidy profit for himself in the process. So what, can you talk about the kinds of percentages that he makes on top of what the original guy Well, it's massive. It's huge, and we don't care. I mean, I'll give you another example. So a staffing firm comes to Odesk, and they say, listen, we have a lot of clients that are looking for our help in, in locating offshore resources, and we don't want to set up a facility offshore. Can we use Odesk? And we say, sure, go, go ahead. We don't care, right? So they'll post a job in Odesk. They'll interview candidates. They'll present three to the client. And they'll go to the client and say, look, you can have a local .NET guy for 100 bucks an hour. You can have a remote guy for 50 bucks an hour. Take your pick. And if the client chooses the remote guy, uh, our average rate in Odesk is about 16 bucks an hour. So assuming they're paying the average and they're billing them out at 50 the staffing firm is making a bigger margin on the remote guy through Odesk than they are through their local guy. So it's a win all the way around. It's a win for the client. It's a win for uh, for the staffing firm because we bring, again, the global workforce right to their door, right, and they can have their own uh, certifications or tests or whatever they want to create a subgroup within Odesk of, uh, you know, staffing firm X certified uh, providers. Right. So we really see an opportunity that's di- quite different from all the other marketplaces out there, Adrian, in the fact that we create this marketplace where people can build their businesses on top of Odesk. Do you have many guys that are there as project managers right now? We do, yeah. We have dozens, and we have lots of people like Galindo who are making uh, making a living doing it. So we, uh, we think there's a, a pretty good opportunity here. And that, I mean, that is real value out. He's the one that taught me a lot about project management. He really knows his stuff. And your average developer in the Ukraine may be really good at PHP, but they, they don't know project management. And so Jorge really, I mean, even if he's making a lot of money at it, he's, he's, he's delivering a lot of value as well. And, and the benefit for us is that we don't want to do that, right? Because we don't think that's scalable. There's a lot of businesses out there that do that as well, where they'll say, hey, come to us and we'll manage your project for you. But then they have to uh, they have to charge the customer. They have to deliver the value. They're the one throat to choke. And what we say is we'd like to empower our network to be that one throat to choke. And, again, everybody wins. As long as people in Odesk are working and we're taking our thin 10%, and as long as the clients are getting good results, why? Because guys like Jorge Galindo are delivering, uh, are delivering uh, good results, and we're confident they are because he's quite good. Um, and he's willing to take the to be on the hook for finding the right developers. Right. He's willing to say to the uh, to the firm, "Listen, you don't have to worry about the day to day. I'm going to do that for you. Trust that I'm going to get the right team that can deliver this project. If I don't, then it's going to hurt my reputation." How many projects can someone like him manage at a time? Uh, well, if you create leverage under yourself, which he's done, because now he's even hired project managers under him, so he's up even at a, at a, at a third tier. Um, 
but we 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 see uh, project managers doing uh, you know a half a dozen uh, different projects for clients. Ah, uh, you didn't tell me all this. So Jorge's built himself a little empire there on Odesk, huh? Yes, he's up to a couple hundred providers, and you know it's it started one day when I was looking at top providers and which firms were were starting to make uh, real money, and Galindo was uh, was one of those that just bubbled up on the radar very quickly. And uh, we finally figured out, uh, you know, by picking up the phone and calling him. And, and be, because of our conversations with Jorge, we've actually added a lot of functionality to our roadmap that helps support it, right? So uh, the ability for Jorge to build a client directly for me at, say, $40 an hour, and the client pays that, so they see that I'm $40 an hour, even though Jorge is maybe only paying me 10 and he's taking 30, and we can we can collect the money from the client and divide up the money to where it's supposed to go, 10 to me, the worker, and 30 to Jorge, the project manager. So he doesn't even have to worry about billing and paying. All right. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Um, All right. Any other things you want to tell us a bit about Odesk before we move on to some of our other topics? Um, no, why don't, we, uh, why don't we go on to the rest of your agenda, and if uh, we have time at the end, maybe I'll, uh, I'll throw a few more plugs out for Odesk. Okay, so um, what I'm really interested in, in understanding from you is, because I keep hearing this from entrepreneurs over and over, is I build my company, things are starting to go pretty well, um, I'm too busy in any way, I'm a bad manager, I, I want to bring in experienced management. And the reason why your perspective is interesting is because you are exactly that experienced management that's been brought in. Um, and so I'm interested to know, I guess, how, how does one do that? What kind of qualifications did you have? Like, why did they pick you? How did that go with the founders and the VC and all that kind of stuff? And and you know how, how did it all come together? Well, I think it um, it's an interesting topic. And when I came into Odesk, I think you know the idea was there, the market was there, and even the technical execution was was pretty sound. Um, you know, these guys had built a product and it had built systems that could uh, could support the, the product, but um, but the, the team was a bit of a mess. Um, there was no clarity of, uh, you know, one, where the company was going, or two, the feeling that everyone knew what was expected of them. Uh, two, there were no standards, so sort of the emphasis that employees felt like, uh, you know, management put on improving performance and the like, or the degree that people felt that it was, uh, you know, challenging but attainable goals. It was, it was sort of like a leaderless organization. And I think the founder recognized that, hey, you know, this is this is a real opportunity. In order to to make it worth something, we could really use some some direction and some, um, uh, you know, some clarity and some standards and some responsibility and some, uh, you know, some structure around what we were doing. Um, and so, you know, when I first came in, I saw the opportunity, but just saw a lot of sort of operational uh, details that needed to be cleaned up. And, and I think the board obviously felt the board investors felt the same way. So, I mean, founders don't tend to willingly step aside, or is that what happened in this case? Well, what happened in this case is that the, the founder happens to be a very opinionated, very smart, uh, very passionate um, founder, and obviously wants to contribute at the executive level, but recognized that he, he had no business being a CEO. Um, uh, and I think it was fine to get the company to where it was, but not uh, he knew that he wouldn't be able to take it further. And so I think, you know, probably one of the prerequisites is that when you have a founder that uh, is willing to, to step aside, right, or to say, look, this is what I'm good at and here's how I want to contribute. And our founder, Otis Seas Satsalos, is, is 
extremely valuable to the team. He's um, he's our CTO, but he's a CTO that has the ability to execute as an individual contributor. So, um, you know, even specking features and delivering features and architecting features, but also uh, having the technical vision of, you know, where the business should go and where the real opportunities are to, to continue to differentiate. I, I think he understands the business um, as well as anybody uh, in, in our company. Um, so to, to have somebody like that who's, who knows that they don't want to be CEO, but they still want to be heard and come on have an opinion and have a seat at the table, but can also contribute as an individual uh, player on the team is just extremely valuable. And so I think it was, you know, it was a little bit tenuous at first, um, but once Odysseus realized that, you know, we could move faster and, uh, you know, I have this concept of best and highest use. You want to get the best and highest use out of everybody on the, on the bus, if you will. And I think Odysseus realized what his strengths were. I mean, he realized that the bus could go faster if he sat in that seat. Um, that, that's really when we, uh, we, we started executing. Why did he choose to stay with Odesk? I mean, I, I imagine, like you said, that was tenuous. I imagine that that's got to have been very difficult, where he was originally the founder, and then you, you, you're this, this new guy that's come on. Now, obviously, you're given the CEO's role, but it's still his, his baby. And, I mean, founders do get very attached to their, to their companies they founded, so that's got to have been tough. Why didn't he just move on and start something else? Well, he definitely could, but I think there's a, there's a combination of things. One is that when you have, um, I think you, when you have something that, that's working really well, uh, and um, and you are executing against that idea, and also you have a, pa- a real passion for this business, you know, to see it through. I think all of those things are a little bit sticky, but then also to create an environment where you do have, you know, pretty good clarity, good uh, good standards, good um, a good sense of responsibility, right? So everybody knows what they're responsible for. I also think there's a whole. Um, you know, if I look at my past jobs, Adrian, about why I left, I think there's four things that are important in, in an opportunity, in addition to a great idea and a great team and, and, you know, all of the things you look for in a great company. I think that a career or an opportunity needs to provide these four things. Number one is the opportunity to grow and develop. People feel like they can grow and develop uh, in their environment, then they'll stick around. And I think Odysseus looked at it and said, hey, you know, maybe I, I can learn things or I can, I can uh, grow and develop beyond uh, uh, the CTO role and, and learn how to do some different things, right? The second is the, the opportunity to contribute. So when you can draw a direct line between what you're doing and the company's growth or to, you know, a product feature you released and the, the huge market adoption or acceptance, so it's really the ability to contribute. Right, to know that you can contribute to the bottom line, that, that's important. The third thing is good financial reward. So if you're making uh, good money or you feel like you're being fairly compensated or you have a stake in a win um, in the form of equity and if you can make the company worth something and that equity becomes valuable, then, uh, then, then that's quite sticky. And then the fourth thing is uh, what I call balance. Um, which is, you know, is it a good work environment? Do you like the people you work with? Is it fun to go to work every day? And is there a sense of balance in your life? So, you know, nobody minds working 80 hours a week uh, if they love what they're doing and they like the people they're working with. And so I think that the absence of any one of those things will cause people to uh, to leave or to poke their head up and start looking around, e- even if one of those has had a balance. 
And if I looked at my past career and, you know, at IBM, I had fantastic um, uh, financial reward. I had a great balance, right? There were two metrics, nine and five. <laughs> I mean, I could go and I was never in better shape in my life. But I didn't have the contribution or growth and development, right? The, the growth and development curve was, was slow and getting flatter. And the contribution, I had a $160 million number. It didn't matter if I showed up at work or not. I couldn't move the needle, you know, more than 10 or $20 million, which was nothing in a $13 billion software organization, right? right? And so um, if you look at why people leave, I think it's when one of those four things get out of line. And fortunately for Odysseus, I, I constantly check in, and, you know, I think we've created an environment where those things are are uh, are prevalent. So how did they find you? I mean, you were working in another job um, that wasn't working out the way you hoped. Were you, were you CEO in your previous job, or were you in another position? I was not. I was uh, VP of uh, operations, of COO. And what had happened was I had, uh, we, had, we had tried to raise money for that opportunity. And um, it was a, a fantastic learning experience, which, by the way, a good friend of mine says, experience is what you get when you don't get all the other things you want. Um, this, this was one of those experiences. And in the process of raising money, I got in front of a lot of VCs, and, and um, a couple of those VCs said, listen, we're not interested in the company, but we are interested in you. How about this opportunity? How about that opportunity? And this was one of those. So knowing that um, I probably had to distance myself from, from, uh, from that other uh, startup, um, uh, you know, I looked at a, a half a dozen different things, and Odesk was one of those things. And with the other positions you were also being offered, were they also CEO-type positions? Uh, it was both. Uh, some uh, CEO, some uh, VP of sales at a couple of interesting startups, uh, two which have already had exits. Um, so those would have been very decent opportunities. Um, uh, but this one, this one seemed like it had the most upside. Right. And, I mean, for bringing on a CEO, like what would be typical salary ranges that a CEO bringing someone in to take over would expect. I actually got asked this last week um, by a guy who's, who's self-made. He's got his company out in Colorado. It's doing really well. He's hired a... And I, I think in his case, he doesn't actually want a CEO. He wants a COO. But in general, what kind of um, ranges of salary would be expected for that sort of position? So there's some really good um, uh, venture data out there that I'm very happy to send to you. So there's a survey that they send out every year, and you can look at the stage of the company and the... Uh, you know, the size of the company and the amount of money that they took and where they're located, and it'll tell you by role, founder and non-founder, what you should expect. Um, so I'm very happy to send that to you. But, you know, it's, uh, the, the way I look at that is that it's sort of uh, risk and reward. There's, there's three different buckets that you can pull from. There's base, there's variable, and there's equity. And um, I remember I had a conversation with somebody once when I was at IBM, and I was, I was flying home from Seattle, and uh, this this gentleman said that um, he was he had helped take Starbucks public, and uh, as an investment banker, and he was looking at opportunities to uh, to do more than just be an investment banker the rest of his life. And he he met with Howard Schultz, who was the uh, the founder of Starbucks. And Howard said to him, uh, "You're never going to be me while you're at um, when you're while you're at Morgan Stanley." He said, "You're going to have to either change your aspirations or change your environment." And I remember flying home from Seattle with that quote in my head, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I said, "You know what? I have to change my environment. 
I'm never going to knock the ball out of the park at IBM. Uh, I could have a great career and, uh, you know, could be a solid, solid single or, you know, maybe, maybe a double if you're, if you're lucky, but it's, um, you know, I just didn't want to wake up 15 years from now and say I never stepped up to the plate. And so I think it has to, it, it, you know, as far as what does a package look like or what are the opportunities, it really depends on what's important to you. Um, do you want to step up to the plate and put more at risk? Right. And sometimes the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Or do you want to uh, do you want to play it safe and command a big salary and uh, um, and the like? And also, you know, when I came to Odesk, we were an A round company. We had taken one round of financing, six million dollars, and um, you know, the, the opportunity really was to, to to get well beyond that. Yeah, because I mean, your typical startup isn't going to be burning through cash. So I imagine um, someone like yourself must have taken a pretty decent pay cut when you went to go to Odesk. I did, yes. Um, yep. That's just part of the course, and that's expected because you're going to hopefully make it up in, in uh, equity later on. And think about the uh, things that I said earlier, um, Adrian, about uh, growth and development, contribution, financial reward and balance, all of those things uh, have to be in play. It's not just about the uh, it's not just about the money. And so, you know, the experience that I'm getting here is, uh, you know, I was able to get myself out of a, a sales and operations um, uh, uh, background and into something else, which, of course, is fa- fantastic growth and development for me. Right. Hmm. And so, uh, do you feel that you now fit the role? of experience management, or would you imagine going and trying and starting your own thing? Um, I, I think there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of options, right? There's lots of opportunities as well. But I, I definitely feel like, you know, the experience that I have here, you know, over the last two years has just been, uh, has been fantastic, um, especially learning this type of a business, right? So there's not only the skill, there's also the knowledge or the domain where you're playing. And... Um, and you can't take that for granted. So I know, uh, you know, I talk to uh, recruiters all the time, and I actually met with a recruiter friend earlier this week. And and um, what's interesting is if you you look at, you know, the jobs they're trying to fill today, it's really hard to find uh, um, an experienced CEO for uh, for certain companies. Experience before you came on. What what are your like? You, you, you've been um, doing sales at IBM. Do you have an MBA? I mean, like, what's your background that they were looking for to bring you on board? Well, I think it was a combination of things. You know, one is I did. I, I used to own a business, so I, uh, I was an entrepreneur earlier in my career, uh, and then went into uh, technology. Kind of rose up through the sales ranks, and uh, and then ran the small to medium uh, business practice at Rational, which was about 40% of our, of the company's revenue. So I had a pretty pretty substantial responsibility there. And then uh, a failed startup under my belt. And that failed startup, actually, I think if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been in the position to do this today. That was really a uh, an eye-opener and a valuable experience for me, uh, mostly in, you know, lessons on what not to do. How but uh, but uh, I think that prepared me uniquely for this opportunity. I'm sorry, Adrian, you just cut out. I'm sorry, I still didn't get it. Our, the uh, connection seems to be fading. 
Yeah, I, I can hear you clearly. Just the line goes a little bit wobbly. Um, yeah, it's better now. In the failed startup, why did um, why why was that considered an advantage rather than a disadvantage? Do you think the VCs wouldn't have put you where you are now had it not been for that? Yeah, I I believe that's the case. And, and why would you say that? Why wouldn't they say, well, I mean, I know that Silicon Valley is very forgiving with that sort of thing because they know it takes a couple of hits, but wouldn't they say, well, this one wasn't that good and, you know, maybe maybe Gary's not the guy? Well, I think there were some elements of it that were very good. Uh, for example, you know, we had 80 customers that were paying us, uh, you know, close to $20,000 uh, for subscription-based license to our product. So we... We did have um, we did have some traction, and we were able to get that over a year. We did have uh, pretty good technology. It just was uh, it was it was just bad execution. And I think that in the fundraising process, it gave me great exposure to um, you know what what's required in order to uh, to do that. And I think I was able to recognize recognize those things. And then. Um, we almost uh, sold the company successfully, which actually didn't didn't happen. But there was a lot of valuable lessons in that as well. And uh, and all the while, I was meeting with uh, you know potential investors and different companies and uh, and VCs. And one of those VCs is the uh, is the the firm that put me in Odesk. So they they must have seen enough in the not only the the failure but also the lessons learned, right? And so, uh, are you? What's your educational background? Are you an MBA? Uh, I'm not. Nope. I have a uh, business degree from uh, University of Maryland, College Park. And so, what if if someone, if for entrepreneurs listening to this that are thinking about hiring either CEO or a COO, what would be your recommendations for what what should they be looking for? And I mean, if you can give us like a ballpark on on salaries and the kind of um, deals that they should put together for someone, how, how should a package like that look? Well, what they should look for, I think, is, uh, you know, there's, there's probably four areas that are important. Uh, number one, first and foremost, is the, uh, is the personal characteristics. And the reason why personal characteristics are so important is because those are the things that you can't change. Uh, I don't care how much skill or knowledge or motivation a person has, if they, uh, if they don't have high integrity, if they're not a good communicator, if they, uh, if they're not hardworking, you can't teach those things. And so you're probably better off, uh, you know, you can teach a chicken to climb a tree, but you're better off getting a squirrel in the first place. I would, uh, I would look at personal characteristics first. Second uh, is the motivation. Why, uh, why does the person want to do that specific job, and and uh, and uh, why do they they think they'd be good at it? And you know, what's sort of the motivation to to want to do it? The third thing is the skills. So what skills do they have? Um, do they have skills in building, maintaining, and retaining A-plus teams? Do they have skills in, you know, attracting talent? Do they have skills in raising money? Do they have um, skills in, uh, uh, you know, strategic or tactical skills that are important to the company at that stage? Uh, and then the, the fourth thing is the knowledge. And by knowledge, I mean, are they coming out of a domain where they've already done this? Right. So for Odesk, have you already done a, a marketplace or have you already worked in a services organization or, you know, marketing wise, it was important to us to get somebody who understood Internet marketing as opposed to traditional software uh, marketing. Right. Um, so I would say that uh, it's looking at a combination of those things and, and really trying to get the ideal, uh, the ideal employee profile of, of what's going to fit your firm. 
Uh, and then as far as package, I, you know, it's really what's it going to take to get the right person into the job. I think that, um, you know, you don't want to be penny wise and pound foolish. You also don't want to overpay, uh, you know, to try and bring the big name in too early. Right. If I look at what's important for Odesk, it's, it's, you know, we, uh, we're on a trajectory to get, uh, this business to a hundred million in gross services build. And I'm confident in my abilities to get us there beyond that. Uh, we'll do what's right for the business. Either I'm the right person or there's somebody better that can do the job. And so I think it's, uh, it's, it's really putting the business first and, and making sure that you're, uh, doing the right thing to get it to where it needs to get to. And is there a time, I mean, do you have a, a phase where you stay on board or is there a time where, where you consider that you, you've grown, grown the company enough and then it's time for t- someone else to take over? Like when they hit that $100 million point, is that when you step away and someone else steps in? I think it depends. I, you know, it look uh, if that's what the business needs at any time. If that's what the business needs, I'm happy to uh, to help to, uh, to to bring in the right person. So I, I you know, I have um, very little emotion around that. I, I look at it and say, look, if Odesk wins, we all win, and um, there's plenty of opportunities for for everybody. So I uh, I'm very happy to have the reins and to grow the business as far as as I can take it. But at any time, if I'm not the right person, then uh, then I'm very happy to uh, to not only step aside but to help to bring the right person in. And I, I'm actually confident in my abilities to do that as well, right? To help attract the right talent to the company. That's um that's a tough position to have to take. I mean, uh, I don't think your average founder would be able to make a statement like you just have. You don't think so? <laughs> Not from some of the founders I've seen. No, I mean a lot of times the, when the, the, the parting is or moving on is 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 not something smooth. Um, I think um, I think it's you know it's probably a combination of things. One is ego probably gets in the way, and two is there's this uh, fear of letting go or to giving up control. And um, you know, what I've learned from our investors and our board members, we have one board member that's just very, very uh, strategic, and he's a superb coach. He doesn't throw out lots of ideas. He doesn't tell you what to do. He merely asks, you know, one or two uh, very poignant, very, very insightful questions that get you thinking about what you need to do. And I find that that style actually works better. It's uh, it's the ability to give up control, the ability to let your team make decisions, and to let uh, let people run. And uh, I think the founder that can do that is is going to position themselves for success, unless of course they're they're great at uh, making the right calls and they're great at executing. And then then why do they need somebody? <laughs> so uh, maybe in your case, it's also a little easier to get less emotional about it because it isn't your baby from inception. It's something you picked up part of the way through. Well, listen, I'm very passionate about the business, so I would argue that, um, uh, you know, it is my baby. Uh, we, we, we all share it, right? It's, um, I, um, uh, I think I'm as passionate about the business as anybody. Um, but, you know, I'm also a realist. <laughs> you know, the important thing is to do right by your customers, do right by your investors, and, and probably most importantly is do right by your team, right? I feel an incredible sense of responsibility to have a good outcome for the people that come in every day and work harder than I do, um, and who, by the way, are far more capable. I just I think we have an amazing team here, and, and people work really hard, and they're 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 quite good. 
And so we ask, we demand a lot out of them, but, uh, you know, I feel responsibility back to, to create value, um, in Odesk so, uh, so we can all win. Cool. Any, anything you'd like to add on the hiring experience management or obviously your area of strengthening the team? I think uh, that, uh, you know, since I've been at Odesk, we've, we've, um, you know, one of the first things I did was I had to exit a half a dozen people. And the reason why is be just because we had some non-performers. And I think that standards are really important, in a, especially in a startup environment, where the longer you let a non-performing employee uh, stay, the more the team looks at it and says, hey, there is no standards, right? If, if, uh, if C players can, can get by here, then it just makes it harder for you to raise the bar. And so we continually raise the bar in the pursuit of excellence here, right? And, and I know everybody says, oh, we have an amazing team, we have an amazing team. We, we really do, um, you know, try and, and continue to bring in uh, good talent. And we've also, uh, the, the, the business has different needs as you go. So what was right six months ago may not be exactly uh, what's right today or what's needed today. And so I would say that uh, the ability to, to recognize that and to take action quickly is probably the most important lesson because never have you let somebody go and uh, have I anyway and look back and said, gee, I wish I had waited a little bit longer. It's, um, it's always, hey, I'm glad I did that. I wish I had done it sooner. It's all, what is it? Uh, higher, slow, fire, fast, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I think that it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to do. Um, usually there's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's people involved and you want to make sure that it's a, uh, that again, that it's, it's good for the people and that they'll, they'll end up better on the other side and, you know, 90% of the time that happens. Um, but just the importance of getting the right people on the bus in the first place and then getting them in the right seats is, is key. Isn't that from good to great? It is, yeah. Cool. Anything else you want to add on that topic? Um, uh, not that I can think of. I feel like I've I've talked a bunch already. All right. I mean, um, so then just anything I guess in closing you'd like to tell us um, about Odesk or anything else finally that we should know that we we didn't cover? Yeah, I think we pretty much covered everything on Odesk. You know, what I would say is that it is a. Um, it's uh, uh, you know we think that we're approaching the market uh, uniquely. And we think we're adding a lot of value in the manage and pay part of the equation. And, uh, you know, going into next year, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, new twists and, and new opportunities. But I would encourage any company that's having difficulty in finding uh, good talent or in building their team to, uh, to give us a try and to, to let us know how it works and to make sure we get the feedback because we, uh, we're continuously making it better. So, cool. Gary? All right, Adrian. Thank you very much.